Welcome to Field to Fan, a podcast from Delta Tray where we discuss the intersection of media and technology in sport and entertainment. I'm Jason Bradwell. Hello and welcome to Field to Fan, where we seek to uncover the strategies and technologies behind some of the biggest operators in sport, TV and film. My name's Jason, I'm a Senior Product Marketing Director here at Delta Tray, the global leader in fan-first digital experiences. So today we're going to do something a little bit different with this episode. A couple of weeks ago, I sat down with Daisy Volans, Head of Digital and Engagement at SailGP, at an event to discuss the organization's approach to building immersive fan experiences. So for those of you who don't know, SailGP stormed the world of water sports last year, bringing a new global sailing championship to the table that features some of the world's fastest race boats. Its objective? To continue to grow its profile and welcome a new era of fans to the highly competitive sport by leveraging technology to deliver unforgettable digital experiences. During the chat, we discussed how Daisy and her team are using technology to enrich the fan experience for both enthusiasts and newcomers across their entire owned digital ecosystem, how they're capitalizing on the opportunities to build a loyal fan base from scratch through the use of audience data, and how they've navigated the challenge of not only having no live content, but only a season's worth of archive to play with in the first place. It was such an insightful chat that we just had to take the audio and give it to our listeners of Filter Fans. So without further ado, here is me and Daisy during a fireside chat on a new horizon of immersive experiences. Here we go. How are you doing, Daisy? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. Thanks very much for joining us today. So in just a few sentences, tell us a little bit about you. What's your background and how did you end up working for SailGP? So my role is head of digital and engagement at SailGP, as you touched on. Um, I have actually only been working for the company since the start of this year, so it has been an interesting year to say the least. Um, we, um, well, my background is predominantly within digital media and marketing. I started out uh, looking predominantly at communities on social and looking how to connect those with brands and create huge fan engagement, that side of things. Um, moved across to entertainment and then by proxy sort of spread my wings into talent and sports. Uh, I was approached by Tim, our CMO for CellGP. Uh, we'd met at a couple of different events, had a few connections in common, and he said, do you want to get on board and, um, excuse the pun there, get on board and join <laughs> CellGP? We're, we're really doors and it would be really great to have you. So yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting year so far. I was going to say, what a what a crazy year to to join such such a young sport. It must have been a bit of a baptism of fire. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely one way of putting it. I think something that uh, I found really exciting when Tim approached me was um, they were really looking to expand a team that was outside of the traditional uh, marketing that Sailing had had been within. Um, they were really keen on opening it up to new audiences, to really diversifying um, what that digital offering looked like. And that was really exciting for me and my counterpart, Jose, who's head of content as well. Um, we all come from very different backgrounds. And I think that gives us a really unique opportunity to capitalize on different areas, whether that's sports, from motorsports to extreme sports, to talent partnerships, to sort of entertainment and media, which is my background. So tell us a little bit about SailGP, because as I mentioned, it's it's a fairly young competition. Uh, it's only been around for a few years. For the, for the non-initiated, what is it? Tell us a little bit about SailGP. 
Now there is the million dollar question, quite literally. So we are a sailing entity, um, which brings together quite literally the best competing sailing athletes in the world um, to compete for a huge, huge prize. So that's a million dollar prize at the end of the season. Um, we travel to iconic locations around the world um, and use innovative technology essentially to um, create, honestly, one of the most thrilling races I've seen. And as a fan of, of motorsports already, for me to then see that taken on water and see just how exciting that can be was, yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. And um, yeah, uh, I think the world is our oyster at the moment and something that um, is unique, let's say, about our, our racing is that every boat is the same. So every team is set up at the same position from the beginning uh, and they have to literally use skill sets, data and insights to be able to get their one-upmanship and get their lead against the other teams, which really makes it an interesting proposition when they're out there on the water because one tiny variable can completely change the game. Absolutely. And have you managed to get out yourself on one of the boats yet? No, I have not. Although having seen them race and the speeds that they can hit, I think I'm I'm happy watching from the shore for now. <laughs> <laughs> Safest on land, right? So let's dive straight in. What are the GP's objectives when it comes to fan engagement? I feel that it's somewhat of a niche sport. Is your focus to serve the super fans or are you trying to reach new audiences or a combination of both? So I think since the proposition has, has sort of come into its own, it's a twofold approach um, from the senior management down and from people that have joined us that are historically from a sailing background, the objective has always been to open sailing up to an audience that it didn't previously have. I think there's some historical connotations that come alongside sailing as a sport and it can be seen as quite niche and, and elitist. And what we want to do is show how accessible it can be to others that just genuinely have a passion for sports and seeing incredible athleticism from everybody involved. And I think the second part of that, which really helps drive us opening up that engagement to just uh, from outside of just sailing fans to a wider audience is not only the, the fact that we have an incredibly exciting rating proposition, but it's the data and insights that back that. I think for anybody that's interested in the engineering, in the functionality, into the information that gets fed through to the athletes and from the teams, I think it is fascinating and, and Oracle, our data partner, go a, a long way to providing incredible insights. And um, yeah, I think that's where we are looking to initially diversify the audience. Anyone um, who's worked within sailing before or who has experience within it know that the fan is a super fan. Once you are in, you stay and you love it. And usually that passion is derived from uh, historical family, associations living by the sea and genuinely developing that passion and we're now taking that and as alongside serving those people we're also going hey but guys those of you that have not seen this before it is actually amazing like it's really exciting there's a real opportunity and you don't have to know every little um uh, colloquialism and little tiny word that is associated to it we're going to make that accessible for you all so I guess to answer your question, we're sort of going for a bit of both. And I think we're in what year two of, of 
conception, right? And this year has been unprecedented for most people. So we're almost taking a reset to then look into next year as to how we approach two supposedly very different audiences and bring that um, together um, through common denominators, which is entertainment and sports. Absolutely. It reminds me somewhat uh, of, of some personal experience I had working in the professional cycling world, the elite cycling world. So, you know, teams who are racing in the Tour de France and, and the Giro. And, you know, you, you mentioned there about super fans. And if you're really in it, you're in it. And uh, I, I certainly experienced that myself when I worked in that elite cycling world. You know, people really appreciating the intricacies of saving, you know, half a watt uh, based on the kind of, you know, the, the lubricant they're using on the chain and, you know, that detail, that data is something that a certain type of fan can, can get really into. I suppose with the difference with sailing is that there is a little bit more of a barrier to entry because, you know, anyone can get on a bike, anyone can kick around a ball, you know, um, sailing, you know, it's, it's not something that uh, you'd argue um, uh, the majority of the population would be able to jump onto, you know, an amazingly um, uh, sleek and fast yacht. So that must be, you know, quite an interesting dynamic for you in the digital, uh, leading digital for sale GP to, to work in. Yeah, definitely. I think where you have that challenge is relatability. So things that do well on digital tends to be um, personality-led, relatability. You connect with people at some point during their everyday lives. And with sailing, you don't necessarily, to your point, have that opportunity to do that. So it really takes an additional layer for us to then go, okay, so what points can people relate to? So the athleticism, the training that our athletes go through, the day-to-day -day of their lives, we can form a connection via that. We can look at um, elements within sport that people have an affinity to in other sports. So national pride, um, close, close, um, uh, close encounter racing, um, for want of um, highlighting something that is also a negative to some degree is the crashes, the, the near misses, the oh my God moments, because you can't believe something just happened. We had one in Sydney and honestly, I took, it took my breath away because I thought, oh, that's it, they're gone. They're, they're mm. like, this is a capsize waiting to happen. And those moments is something that jolts a, a, an element of human emotion and connection. And so where we don't necessarily have that relatability because not everybody can hop on a boat and not everybody has that access what we can form is a connection through the other elements of the sport which make it relatable and I think that warms really nicely to the audience that we're trying to build which is the uh the armchair fan the people that are consuming sports at home for pure enjoyment of it rather than the technical ability and then where we um, leverage different areas of our digital ecosystem is okay so we know the point in which to bring that data and insights in we know where our more super fan audience are engaged so we can bring those other elements into that so it's sort of a bit of a balancing game but um, one that we are still learning and we are still evolving but I think this period of time where we haven't had events has been a real opportunity for us to understand the unique elements of those different fans and how we can engage with them. It seems like, you know, what you're saying is that to to be a, a digital first organization, you know, particularly for an, for a sport like sailing and for an organization like SailGP is, is absolutely paramount because you're taking those, you need a, you need a structure, you need a distribution 
delivery system to take all those amazing stories and you know that's what sports all about as you say you know those capsized moments the the f1 car that goes off the track it's taking those moments and and packaging them in a way that can be taken to a fans and really you know tug at their heartstrings and evoke their emotions so let's talk about that digital ecosystem for sale gp you know what does it look like how is it being managed by your editorial team how are you taking content you know from the water and getting it onto the screens of your fans yeah of course so um much like i i assume many other um sports entities we have quite a complex digital ecosystem but every little part plays its plate uh, plays its place <laughs> <laughs> has its place within um different messaging and, and different um purposes basically so we have our league which is the digital platforms in which we have direct communications and this is where we have our website, the different digital social channels. We have the app, um, which was, well, was and is an incredible asset for us during events. Um, the app, just to touch a little bit more on that, is really where that fan that we mentioned before, that super fan can go to, to really consume that data and insights. We have, I think, um, and I may stand corrected on this, but around 30,000 data points coming off the boats at any one time. Wow. And all of that data and information gets pulled into a hub and that's accessed by the teams, that's accessed by the league, that's accessed by broadcast partners, where, well, through our, our broadcasting system where we're pulling out different data points and, and different pieces of information that is critical to how the race is developing. And then we also take that information and create that into to um, uh, slightly more consumable graphics, which are then for that more casual fan. So we have the app as what I would call a second screen and then the digital channels as that more um, accessible piece. And then underneath that, we would have the teams. So each of the teams have their own uh, teams, teams within a team. <laughs> and those guys um, have their own personalities and their own voices and they predominantly create and build audiences within their own markets. So the Australian team, the Japanese team, the now new team, New Zealand, um, we really encourage those to build their own personalities and really hear their athletes within that. I think a real um, key piece of information we've, we've sort of looked at and understood is where we've had that real sailing fan and they know who our athletes are and what we do, others don't. So we need to, as we're bringing these people in via broadcast, via digital live stream, via social channels, we need to support that with educational information on who our athletes are, why you should connect with them, what makes them so incredible at what they do, and also about the league as well. So we sort of have those two different layers. And then we work really closely with our partners as well. So from you guys to um, Oracle, to Rolex, to... Um, all of our different local in-market partners and take elements of what their ecosystem looks like and distribute through those as well so it sort of amplifies its way outwards from our league positioning and our, our core messaging to each of those different stages uh, as we go outwards and something that we're really keen to look at and something that we're doing a lot of work on is uh, syndication opportunities and where we can take the content that we do have direct to fan in market in a way that's consumable for them um, as we all know, not every platform is huge in, in every market. And I think we are almost, because we are a new entity, 
we have the pro of being able to try a new platform and give it a go and throw everything into it, but also the con in that we need to still establish ourselves on those platforms that are so huge globally. Um, and we do that on, on all of those different layers. So yeah, I, <laughs> I guess that was quite a, a complex explanation of, of what is quite a vast digital ecosystem, but where everything has a place within what we're doing and um, different ways in which we communicate with people. No, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And I think the number that jumps out to me is the 30,000 data points. <laughs> yeah. Was that each boat you said? Every boat has, and I could stand corrected on that one from our tech and data team, but, and from what I understand that is increasing year on year. And I think what's really incredible about that. And as I said, from, I came into this world, the sailing world as somebody who was not wholly educated on that. So I have had to do a lot of work watching old races, working with athletes, speaking to people to really understand the sport in itself. But when I have seen the data come off and honestly, some of the information that can come from there that is slight change in wind direction or speed, a change in um, current, anything, like there is so much information coming off there that it's the tech teams and the people that work back at base for each of the individual teams do such a phenomenal job interpreting and then applying that to to what the guys are doing and yeah it's really really interesting and I think on a content side of things not only do we have that data coming in but we also have onboard cameras we have live feeds from each of those athletes and the um the tech team's actually working on something really exciting for for next season as well uh, in terms of real-time feeds that we can get through and how we enhance them um to make them even more interesting, let's just say, for those that are consuming on digital and uh, and via broadcast. So, yeah, it there is there's just so there is so much information that come off that. Even distilling that, um, I think, is a challenge because you want to put everything into it. And as a team, we're like, let's throw this in, and they'll love this, and this will be amazing. And we almost have to take a step back and go, okay, so this is how we serve this fan. This is how we serve this one. And this is where, if you'd like that additional information, you can sort of get it from. Absolutely. I was going to say, it must be a, a storyteller's dream, you know, in your position to have access to such a wealth of resource to craft those stories. It's not, you're not just relying on what you see in front of you, but there's just a, a, a lake of information underneath that lake, a sea of information, maybe. I don't know, another pun there. Um, <laughs> Uh, that you that you can draw from to and 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 put onto your digital platforms directly into the hands of your audience to really enhance that richness of the sport and that's got to be quite appealing to a certain kind of fan would you say yeah absolutely and i guess for us it's almost like a jigsaw puzzle so it's going okay here's the feeds that are coming in from tech and data and here's the visuals that we're matching with that and how do we pull that into one place for all of these different locations to form a well-coordinated story and i think that's where the age-old transmedia storytelling um way of communicating with an audience comes into play because you have your second screen integration you have your digital feed up, you can watch your broadcasts. And as long as those stories are all matching up and creating a user journey, you have an opportunity to feed so much <laughs> to your audience that it's almost like, well, where do you even start? Like I said, it, it's a puzzle that 
is really exciting for us as a team to to put together. I mean, sometimes it's mind blowing. I'll be honest. Right. You have to sort of take a step back and go, okay, right. <laughs> let's just have a moment and distill that. And then let's put that into a story that is going to excite people and, and really capture their interest, which ultimately we are a new entity and we need to prove ourselves. And we have to, we have to be at the forefront of that innovation and be at that forefront of tech and of the data and really understand every little element to make sure that when we bring a fan in and they go, oh, okay, we're interested in this LGP, let's have a look, that we keep them there and we keep them engaged and we keep them wanting to see more. I mean, particularly in the climate we're in where we, we are waiting for events to restart, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and so you mentioned, uh, you know, a new entity and, and having to, to prove yourselves, you know, let's talk about that because CLGP were obviously one of the front runners in postponing their season, making a call very early on to push season two into 2021, you know, for any organization, any sports organization, this is a big deal. Uh, for one that is, you know, less than five years old, less than three years old, really, you know, major, major decision. What impact did that have on your on your digital marketing and your engagement efforts overall? Yes, <laughs> there is, there is <laughs> a question. <laughs> no, there is a question. So, I mean, the the decision was an absolute must do for us. I I think the entities that be had a huge decision on their hands and, and we took stock of everything else happening in the market but also that we're we are inherently a global entity so our teams our athletes our anybody that is involved with that process come from across the world and that's what makes us um so interesting and so uh, innovative in what we achieve but uh, at the back end of that i think we saw it as a real opportunity to step back and take stock so the first part of, of what we looked at was, okay, we don't know how long this period of time is going to go on for. We're not sure when events want to come back in. Because I think we started the season by just um, postponing the first couple of events, the American events. And then obviously as time has gone on, we, we postponed the whole season and we're aiming for April 2021 start next year, which still seems some way away as it, as it is. But I think it's more realistic, you know? Um, so we took this time to take stock and go, OK, let's understand exactly what we're doing. We ran into season one and season two somewhat, all, all guns blazing, throwing everything that we had at it. And there was some real experts on our teams that come from sailing backgrounds and, and otherwise. So we sort of took a step back and went, OK, this is what we know does really well. We took some time to, again, look at the data of content performance. And we did a lot of um, market research through our email database, through our social data, uh, our social audience, and through people that were industry professionals. So our peers within industry and said, look, okay, this is what we're doing well. This is what we're not doing well. This is what we need to improve on. How do we take steps to build a strategy whilst keeping the lights on at the same time? And I think where other entities had a real um, head start on ourselves is the historical content. We didn't have that. We had one season's worth um, and that predominantly was it. So we had to really um, think outside of the box, whether that's we filmed content with um, teams and athletes uh, via Zoom. We looked at leveraging platform features to get athletes speaking to our audiences. 
And I think a real win for us was that actually, although season one was incredible and it did great for, for a first time out, there was so much of the world, particularly the digital audience that hadn't seen that content. They hadn't seen some of the races and they hadn't seen some of the content that was put out last year. So we used that as an opportunity to resurface, to start looking at how we educate new audiences from that, to really put in a um, growth strategy that was focused on building that low hanging fruit of sailing fans, water sport fans, those who are already interested through educating them on our proposition and through trying to build a relationship with the athletes. And luckily the times that we were in, there was people with free time. So we could get the athletes involved in those things where previously they would have been training. And we were able to um, actually work really closely with partners. So for example, we worked with Oracle on a winning call series and we filmed with each of the teams and it gave them a chance to rewatch old races. And that's where we brought in that um, audience I mentioned previously, which was that more technical interest in sports, but maybe didn't have that sailing side. And we've expanded that through making really uh, specific connections with in-market um, audiences. So the Spanish team bringing in a Spanish audience and, and building that following and the Australian team and so on and so forth. So. It's been interesting. There's been a lot of test and learn, to be completely honest with you. And as I'm sure everyone else has experienced, new the platforms are all bringing out new features. People are uh, leveling up their consumption of live. I think just from looking at how people are consuming on digital now, there has been a shift in terms of um, watching more longer form content on YouTube or um, having access to so much media now that we are still fighting for not just a place within the sporting world where people are re-watching uh, events, but also entertainment as well. You're, you're uh, competing for people's time and that time is precious, even in um, a, a global pandemic where people are at home and are doing other things, you know? Mm, absolutely. I mean, what's, what's, what's quite clear is that yourself and, and CellGP are data led you, you know you're talking uh, i'm not just talking about the data you're collecting from the boats here but you know, specifically on on your audience um and it seems like it is a real vital component to the ongoing success of jail sail gp as you're trying to kind of bridge that gap between the sailing enthusiast no brainers are going to be interested in in, in what sail gp is offering is and a new kind of audience that maybe exists in on the auxiliary uh, interests that surround the sport. So speaking specifically about uh, your, audience, your audience, your digital audience, you know, what, what role does data play in your work? How are you in GP putting in place the tools to, to really understand your audience and how they're engaging with the proposition? Yeah, of course. So I think because we have such an extensive uh, digital ecosystem in respects to uh, the audience data from the app and the website and the different digital channels. When we've sat back and taken stock of what the audience looks like, they actually do differ on each channel. And I think that aligns with what we see in the industry as wider digital, uh, digital consumption trends mm -hmm. and sort of pulling those two different parts together, again, almost like this puzzle, um, having, each audience and understanding of what each audience on that platform needs has been really valuable to us. And we regularly review this. I think there's been a real shift in the last few months in terms of 
our younger audience. So we very much sat probably to no surprise of anybody's within that sort of older, probably 35 plus already mm-hmm. selling interest. We had a larger following on Facebook, which is traditionally where they sit. There was very specific types of content they like to consume, very specific durations. And we've really pushed to, to move that into a more 25 to 35 group within that Instagram piece and within YouTube. And I think where we continually go back and look at the data points is, okay, so what does our audience look like month on month? Are we shifting our perception enough to bring in that new audience? If so, what content was it that they consumed the most with? If we've released X amount of content this month, which performed the best? And then ultimately, who are returning viewers to that? So what are their affinities? What are their interests? How do we go, okay, so they might be a fan on two channels. How do we make them a fan across them all? How do we bring them back? And do we even need to do that? If they're all in one space, then is that okay? And I think the last sort of three to six months has been really interesting for us because there has been a shift in perception within the business as well as to A, capabilities of the platform, but B, just how much we can find out by trial and and testing different styles of content, different graphical styles, and moving into season two, that visual element that supports the audience data that we've been doing is so important because I think digital is the, the shop window for our proposition. And ultimately, if we can capture your attention there and keep it, which is what we've seen as a as a trend with people that are already have that sale and affinity, if we can do similar with other audiences, because we start to understand the content that they want, want to see, and we regularly look back and do our audience insights pieces, our market research, our review of content, I think steadily we will well we are starting to see that grow and we are starting to see how that then maps out for year one two three four uh, of sale gp yeah absolutely i mean you, you kind of touched on it a little bit there but i, I want to dig into it a little bit you know understanding understanding is one thing you know understanding who is engaging with your content is obviously vital but kind of acting on those insights is equally as important, you know, just having data stuck in a dashboard doesn't really serve anyone, anyone, you know, you want it to, to do something or to help you do something. Is there any specific example, either during this period or during the first season of sale GP of, you know, something unique you discovered about the sale GP audience and how this actually manifested itself tangibly in, in your digital engagement strategy? Um, I think a big learning over the last few months was, and this was more an educational piece internally mm. as well, was we don't have to put every piece of content everywhere. The yeah. same thing does not need to re- be repeated on Instagram, on Twitter, on this, on this, unless it's a league announcement, which of course we absolutely want to shout that from the rooftops. There is, audiences like to know where they're going with content, context and purpose. And um, what we've learned there, so for example, um, with YouTube, so we have within the ecosystem, we have the league obviously, and then the teams have their own channels. Now we made a decision earlier on in the year to centralize the YouTube channels so the teams didn't have individual ones. And that decision was made because actually people would jump in between channels and that user journey just didn't feel Mm. right. So I was going to this channel for this and then I would sort of see things replicated and we sort of were starting to get a little bit of feedback that it was, there was a confused message. So as soon as we centralized that into one point and made 
YouTube our one-stop destination for documentary series from the teams, which we've seen a fantastic one launch um, a few months ago with the Denmark team. And we've got the Spanish one coming back in, I think, two weeks' time. Also, the Australian one's launched. So we're, we're launching those individual ones, and we've seen a huge uptake in actually those people that are returning to consume. Um, and we didn't need to put promotion of that everywhere. And we didn't need to split that across everyone using Scrum TV to promote the full thing and the, and, and the other one. And I think that was really interesting for us and something that we'd talked about pre-Sydney, but obviously manic time around event time. So something that we actioned that really we started to see an impact from. Fantastic. That's a great example. You know, as I said, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, I think it's so important. To, to move beyond that dashboard and actually uh, take those insights into practice with your audience. And, you know, obviously it's a, uh, it's a fairly simple example, but a, a fantastic one that, you know, you almost need to see in the numbers that it's, it's worth pursuing. So I think that's a, that's a great one. Uh, just and like down to, sorry, go sorry. on, please. No, no, I was gonna say, it helps us, us with us as well. Um, digital is still although however many years old very new to very many people and mm. the intricacies of those different platforms unless you're in it day to day and consuming that and learning about it and really educating yourself and your teams you can miss nuances and you can miss elements and sort of sit back and go but I don't understand why this content isn't performing I, mm. I don't get why the last one did amazingly and this one did not and it takes that moment to step back and look at the data, but then also apply that to creative as well. We've had a, a few instances over the last few months where our, our agency partner and creative teams have gone, hang on a minute, let's have a moment and, and really look at um, what's performing and what's not. And I think we saw a really nice piece within our rewatches where we launched um, very visually different let's say, uh, rewatch posters. Mm -hmm. And we just wanted to try a new style and they went down a storm. We had so many people being like, do you sell those? They look incredible. We like how that looks. It feels so different to sailing, it, really exciting. And just that one little tweak in what we were doing rather than our traditional, very broadcast feel, very, hey guys, come and look at this. We just shook that one little bit of creative up that felt very non-sell GP and saw such a difference in, in engagement and people being interested that it was, yeah, it was fantastic. And I guess that's why it's important to have such a nimble digital ecosystem and workflows and processes around your content creation to be able to react quickly to that. It's no good understanding something and then waiting, you know, two, three, four months until you yeah. actually execute on whatever insight you've devised. You need to be able to move quick, would you say? Yeah, definitely. And I think there is a balance of reactivity and strategic planning. You have to have um, consistent points that feature because an audience gets used to seeing particular things. So for example, our event season next year, we build most of our content strategy around key events throughout the year because that is ultimately who we are, that is our proposition. But if somebody is used to seeing a documentary series on every other Monday, or if somebody's used to seeing X, Y, Z, that's something that I really believe needs to be that consistent to drive returning consumption. But the reactivity sparks that emotive moment, that immediate, oh, that's something new, that's exciting. 
Absolutely. Look, I'm conscious of time. We've been speaking for, for almost half an hour now, but I have to ask because you mentioned it a little bit earlier, you know, this intersection of sport and entertainment. And obviously, uh, Sale GP had a small cameo in the latest uh, Christopher Nolan blockbuster, Tenet. How did that come about? And how did you guys at Sale GP really capitalize on that to engage your fans? So, that funny story on, on that one. I believe, and I wasn't around at the time of this happening, so it could just be a bit of a word on the grapevine situation, but uh, Rome Kirby got approached by a friend of his who works in Hollywood and basically said, Christopher Nolan's doing this really exciting film. He does not do things by halves, as we all know, and he's looking for the fastest race boats in the world. You guys are that, so would you be interested? And I think um, some of the team met with, I want to say, the head of marine operations. And he said, right, we're interested. Let's give it a shot. And essentially, which is incredible for us, the only people that can truly um, uh, drive, ride, however you want to <laughs> say yeah. it, our F50s is our athletes. So they got the exciting opportunity to be able to be part of that incredible action scene. Um, I believe Tom and Rome were at the forefront of that. And um, from what I understand, people watching that scene unfold and seeing that happen in real time when they were filming it, it was just as thrilling and shocking as what you see in the film because people don't expect the foiling to be quite as impressive as it is. And they don't anticipate the speed in which those boats fly. So, I mean, it was amazing. Um, And if you've seen the film, it's it's a pretty thrilling action scene mm. um and then off the back of that we were i mean to be honest there was there was a real mixed approach to it so we'd had a a, a campaign and marketing plan uh, put together and we'd worked with various teams to do that then obviously the global pandemic happened and we thought well hang on step back there's no premiere there's no opportunity for a larger scale activation how do you make this digital first and really integrate what our content looks like to reflect what the film is like so we stepped back from that used what what we knew best and that was the athletes involvements to have those really niche stories and to um, reflect some of that creativity in our own posters and create our own trailer to actually announce that we're coming soon in April 2021 and hopefully it may be our first but it won't be our last movie feature fingers crossed Absolutely not. Not if Christopher Nolan's got anything to do with it. I mean, (laughs) it's amazing. It's amazing. Daisy Vollens, Head of Digital and Engagement at CellGP, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a really great chat. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this episode of Filter Fan. A massive thank you again to Daisy for sitting down to chat. If you've enjoyed listening, be sure to subscribe, rate, leave a comment. It all makes a huge difference, and I thank you so much in advance. If you'd like to learn more about Delta Trade, you can visit our website at www.deltatrade.com, or you can reach out to us on LinkedIn or Twitter. All credits for the soundtrack go to Rex Banner, and this episode, as always, was produced by Marco Lorenzi. See you next time.